0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Discourse, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, or any other thing in the pop culture zeitgeist that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me I have a special guest, a, a returning guest, possibly the best guest. Uh, she is the uh, director of programming for the Austin Asian American Film Festival, as well as a contributor to the Austin Chronicle. Jenny Knoll, welcome back to The Discourse.
1: Hi, I didn't realize
0: I was the best. Uh, least... I did
1: to tell everyone else.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you could tell everybody else, but if they're listening, then, you know, they already heard it. That's
1: true.
0: But, um, well, just, oh, you you know, it's always a great conversation having you on here. So really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, to, to our listeners, uh, apologies for there not being an episode for the last month. Um, I did mention, I believe it was our loose Nightingale episode. I did mention that uh, my wife and I were expecting our first kid. Uh, he did show up on September fifth, and so uh, because of that, i just been—it's uh, been a hard time getting to showings and a hard time, you know, getting guests and wrangling the podcast together. So we took a, a belated break. Uh, fortunately, we've ha- still had a lot of strong content on the playlist podcast feed, for courtesy of uh, B Real and the Fourth Wall podcast. So awesome work, you guys! Thank you for t- picking up the slack while I've been out. But today we have a lot to discuss. We're going to be talking a little bit about fall festival stuff. Uh, We're going to be talking about the movies in September that was missed on the show. We'll be talking about Takashi Miike's uh, latest film, First Love, uh, as well as It Chapter Two, Hustlers, and a bunch more. Uh, But a couple things, uh, a couple pieces of housekeeping to get out of the way before we get started. As usual, the Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, be it SoundCloud, Anchor FM, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, which we are now on. And you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, Indie Beat, The Fourth Wall, or any of the other various things that pop up on the feed from time to time. And then the other order of business we have to get out of the way, uh, uh, regrettably, um, for those who don't know... Uh, I am in a fantasy football league with a bunch of uh, our colleagues, a bunch of other film critics, film journalists, um, a fair amount of people who have actually been on this show before, uh, including Robert Daniels, Alicia Grosso, Matt Donato, Matthew Monical, and Griffin Schiller, the host of the Fourth Wall podcast over here on the Playlist Podcast Network. And him and I played each other in week one, and we made a side bet that uh, whoever won would have to force The Loser to watch something or some things of their choice and have to come on the podcast network to talk about it. Um, And as you could probably tell in the tone of my voice, I lost. Um, So Griffin forced me to watch the two Ghost Rider movies. That is 2007's Ghost Rider and 2012's Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Two movies I had seen before, but uh, had not seen them since they played in their respective theatrical runs. And, um, I mean, TLDR, they're terrible. Like, they they were terrible then, and they're terrible now. Jenny, did you ever see <laughs> either of these movies? Uh,
1: no. Does that surprise you?
0: It doesn't, no. And you're, you're a smarter person than I. I, I will give... I'll give myself a little bit of a pass for seeing the, uh, the first one back in 2007. Um, I've probably talked at length, both to you off mic and on the show that I, that I grew up in a, a pretty small town and we only had a uh, one movie theater, a single screen movie theater. Um, and so once I was able to drive, I pretty much went and saw everything that came out, uh, to that theater and ghost rider was one of those movies. So I went on a solo date to go see that. Um, it was, it was not good. And, uh, I was at least kind of maybe looking forward to revisiting the second one because it is directed by uh Dean and taylor the guys who did crank and gamer um so i was at least like oh okay there's some like crazy action you know i've kind of grown to appreciate their movies um in the time sense. so i'm like oh maybe i missed something with that one um it not really there there's some like kind of crazy action to it but it's just it's just super bland and it looks really cheap like shockingly cheap and i know it was like half the budget of the first one but it it just uh, it just looks like i don't know it looks like it was shot on a gopro like it just doesn't look very good and it's it's worst of all they're just boring movies so but uh a bet's a bet i'm a man of my word griffin forced me to watch them, so i did and i'm here to say uh if you haven't revisited those movies in a while, or you haven't seen them at all, just don't. And and better <laughs> y- And better yet, don't if you don't play fantasy football, also don't, because it's 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 a hell hellscape on Earth <laughs> every single Sunday. I swear to God. Um But enough about that. Let's let's move on to uh let's move on to some like news slash other film related items. Um it is I guess probably the biggest thing that has occurred in this podcast's absence is uh fall festival season is um, you know, it's, it's a mad dash for the awards this year. Uh, Jenny and I were just talking on my off mic briefly that, um, that the Oscars are earlier this year, about three weeks to a month earlier. It's on February 9th. So it seems like all the deadlines have been pushed up a month. And so, just title after title it seems like at venice at tiff and fantastic fest that they just unveiled all these potential oscar contenders um so i'm gonna pass the ball to you jenny because uh i know neither of us were at venice or tiff but you were at fantastic I Fest. Wish. yeah i wish i wish to <laughs> not so much
1: tiff I, I really want to go to venice someday
0: i do too um and we'll definitely be talking about that on the a little bit on the next episode of this podcast, uh, which I'll talk about at the end here, but, um, but you were at fantastic fest. It was the 15th annual fantastic fest. And I believe it was your 11th that you've gone to
1: close. It's my 10th. So I ha- I've been going since 2008, but I had to skip two years cause I was really poor and not yet a film critic.
0: So that's uh, uh,
1: so it's my 10th. I actually counted this year and yeah, I've been going for a long time.
0: And how was it this year?
1: Um, you know, I honestly, I feel like the programming wasn't as good as years past. And I mean, that's not the fault of the festival. That's mostly the fault of movies coming out and what you're able to, like, access, Um, I feel like this also has, they've run into this issue of streaming because, and I think a lot of festivals have too, where a lot of these films that used to premiere at like a Fantastic Fest or something like that, that were smaller, now get picked up for streaming a lot faster. Yeah. So there's less of a festival run for some of these really good underground horror movies because a lot of these people want to make money and they don't want to wait, which I understand completely. I also think there's a lot more genre festivals out there than there used to be. So Fantastic Fest gets a lot of second-run stuff now and third-run stuff, um, mostly second-run from TIFF. So programming was off, but, like, the good stuff was really good, but you also kind of knew going in that that good stuff was good. The only surprise I had was this movie called The Vast of Night, which is an Amazon release, actually, Ryan. Oh, yeah, and I loved it. It's a sci fi movie set in, I think it's the 1950s, um, of a small It's supposed to be a New Mexico town. Well, it is a New Mexico town in the movie, but it's actually filmed in Texas, uh, which is kind of nice. Um, and strange Twilight Zoning things start happening in it. I loved it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. No, I've heard nothing but great things about The Vast Night, and I'm really, really excited to check that movie out. Um, and, and I do agree that it is, um, you know, even. Even outside looking in, because I wasn't able to attend the festival this year, that, you know, there is a lot of holdover from TIFF, and because of that, you know, a lot of those movies, the the window is either shrinking or the, you know, like you said, Netflix, I mean, like, for example, I know the new um, Jim Mickle film played there, right, In the Shadow of the Moon. Right, um, They have a
1: really good relationship with Netflix.
0: Uh, that makes sense because that movie is already on Netflix right now for yeah. people to watch. Uh, the Tall Grass, the Stephen King adaptation. Not
1: I a th- good movie.
0: Yeah, I remember you <laughs> seeing your Letterboxd review of that movie. But neither here nor there. It's out tomorrow, I believe, on Netflix. you right. So, yeah. So, and yeah. then
1: Dolomite played there as a quote-unquote secret screening. Right, um.
0: <laughs> Which which is out. That's Netflix, I think, the 25th. But it starts its theatrical run tomorrow at the time of this recording.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I can't. I think there's a few other Netflix movies. A oh, fractured, which is a really bad movie that I watched.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a bummer.
1: <laughs> uh, it's by the director of Session Nine, who's actually a good director, I think. Uh, it's just the, the script was really bad.
0: <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. And
1: it stars, I believe, one of your favorite actors. Well, maybe not. Uh, it's, the, it's the actor from See for Zachariah. I can't remember his name at the moment.
0: Oh, is it uh, Chuatology for? No. Z for Zachariah.
1: Wait. Zach- Z wait. For Z- no, Z for Zachariah. I mean, Lost City of Z. <laughs> oh. Was, uh,
0: so many
1: Z's are Zed. Robert
0: Pattinson? Uh,
1: no, no. Uh, the, main, the main guy. Lost oh, Charlie of- Hunnam? Yeah, Charlie Hunnam's in it. Oh, okay. Is it him? Oh, my God. All those, like, buff white guys from Australia look the same.
0: They do. And, and, um,. I mean, I'm not going to, like, you know, I like him in Lost City of Zed. I'll say that um, for sure.
1: But you're not going to go to bat for him either? No, I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I know your opinions on these things. Oh, no, actually. Oh, it's even worse. I'm so sorry. I I feel bad for Charlie Hunnam. It's Sam Worthington.
0: Oh, oh, I heard of this movie. (laughs) Oh, man. It
1: doesn't seem right to me because at least I feel like he's good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah um
1: it's bad yeah i
0: heard i heard pretty rough things about that movie um yeah that's that that was sort of maybe the um again outside looking in uh maybe the most disappointing thing it seems like people had coming out of the festival because session nine is so beloved and people were very excited about this movie and and the the, the enthusiasm sort of deflated as people walked out of that showing
1: yeah and i don't really blame uh i think his name's brad anderson the director don't really blame him cuz it looks nice but it's just not good. <laughs> and he didn't write it. So, I mean, that's why I feel like I can't really blame him. It just feels like he's so a gun for hire gear.
0: That's unfortunate. So, that's that's a bummer. But that I mean, that happens, right? I mean, it's it's, you know, maybe their fault, maybe not, but whatever the case, the alchemy for it just didn't didn't work out.
1: Yeah. I, but, I mean, as far as I, I mentioned The Vast of Night, um, I also saw Parasite, which I loved.
0: I can't wait to see it.
1: Oh, my God. I, I feel like everyone should have this at the top of their most anticipated list. I feel like, you know, my my co-host over at No Excuses, Mike, doesn't like Bong Joon-ho that much, and he even really gelled with this movie. So I feel like this is, if you haven't gelled with Korean cinema very much in the past, and there's some people that just don't because they're editing and style stylization and themes are a little bit uh, sometimes it doesn't work with people and it's just not for them. Uh, but I feel like this is like maybe his most mainstream, uh, awards worthy kind of film.
0: That's awesome. No, I've, I've heard like pretty much unanimously across the board that this movie is, you know, I, I always, I'm always get leery when the word masterpiece is thrown around, but, um, but it does seem unanimous even from people who uh, tend to be less hyperbolic than others, so um, that that has me pretty pretty excited.
1: Yeah, uh, so that one was really good. I also really enjoyed, I'm trying to think back now, it's really hard, oh, Swallow, which is an IFC film. I don't know if it's IFC Midnight or just IFC, but it's a thriller. I would not say it's just IFC. It's a thriller and it's it goes places that, it's surprisingly funny, but tender, and it really takes the film in a direction, it's about a housewife who starts to swallow items that are uh, very unconventional Interesting. at home, once okay. she gets pregnant, um, and it, it comes from a really tender place, I think, which is shocking, because it can be really, really funny, and really cynical, but then on a switch it will be understanding and heartfelt and the ending kind of comes together in this weird way that is really gutsy I don't want to give a lot away and I feel like the this, this movie hasn't gotten a lot of festival buzz because uh, a lot of people have like liked it but I felt like I found some likes minded people at Fantastic Fest that just really gelled with this movie like I did and really liked it so I think that it is uh, kind of like an underrated festival film right now. Nice. That's, that should well, be coming out anytime soon because IFC has it.
0: For sure. And they think they also had, um, uh, what's the movie? Knives and Skin, the Jennifer Reeder film that also played, which I think is coming out pretty soon here as well. So if it's IFC, yeah, I imagine they're going to give it a release here shortly.
1: Yeah. But that was, I think IFC Midnight. I think Swallow is actually just straight up IFC. Okay. Uh, and then a few others before we go on to the one that we both have seen. Uh, I, I think also... Saint Maud is interesting, but I think way overhyped out of okay. the festival circuit. Interesting. It's, I
0: wanted to ask you about that one, because that seems to be one of the um, one of the more hotter titles that came from that festival.
1: So for me, the second act just did not work at all. Interesting. It was really slow and it these two characters that you are with in the first act, it distances them a lot in the second. And I don't think it brings them together in time for me to feel like it was a really fully fleshed out and completed thought almost because it, it's one of those films where it has one idea it's trying to sell you and just the longer it goes on it's like okay well I get it but also it jelled with some people uh, but I just felt it was too slow and the second act was just too much of a a misstep. Oh, that's me. that's uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, well, it was really a bummer because most of the movies I saw either was, like, fine or I didn't like. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> which is really rare at a Fantastic Fest. I feel like I usually have a good mix. This is the first year I, like, consistently, I felt like, rated things, like, two and two and a half stars every time I left. Yeah, I
0: did. The I was following, you know, I was following you and, and a fair amount of other peers' uh, letterbox pages uh, and their reviews that they were doing to the festival, and and I, do, I did remember consistently yours being, like, a little on the lower end, which, you know, it, it, it happens.
1: Yeah. And I did the thing this year, which I haven't done for a while or ever. Cause I've had Letterboxd hasn't been around for a bit is I sat on movies for about 24 hours before I rated them. So I actually like didn't like immediately rate them. So some of them I rated them a little bit higher than I would have even walking out, which is not saying much when two and a half, it's I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not a really a two. It's a two and a half.
0: And that's, <laughs> or that's not
1: really a two and a half. That's a three. <laughs>
0: That's smart. And I mentioned that on, um, I believe it was our once upon a time in Hollywood episode that I, I said, you know, don't, don't do, don't tweet immediately after the movie. Like I tell myself to not do that because then you just, you regret it because on either end, whether you are way hyped on it and then it dies down or you are very cold on it. And then you think about it and you go, Oh, wait a minute. No, I actually really, really liked that movie more than I thought coming out of it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's a smart way to go is to hold on to it for a little bit.
1: Yeah, because I feel like with FEST, for me, it I do get FEST hype as well. um, It's a thing. I also it is a thing, but also I feel like I tend to judge movies harsher if I don't like them. It's like it goes both ways. Oh sure. Uh, But I don't know. The only one that I was like, oh, I was too generous to, was Fractured. Okay. (laughs) After getting out of it, I was like, oh, two is really generous to that movie, (laughs) and I bumped (laughs) it down.
0: It no it, it definitely happens but that's no that's smart because fest hype is is a real thing like you know you get in that bubble you're with that you're there with people who are excited to be excited to be watching a movie and that can be definitely infectious or it could like you said could work against you where if people are digging it and then it's like you fight back harder if you aren't liking it even if it is the movie's just fine so yeah yeah no i understand that wholeheartedly
1: but there is one movie you have seen now. I have. A lot of these movies oddly had a very quick release date after Fantastic This.
0: Well, they did. I mean, it isn't just the movie. I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about this particular movie in full, but like there's a handful of movies that I have seen already that e- either from another festival or screener links or screenings, you know, like I've already seen knives and skin, Coca-Dee, coca uh, bliss, Dolomite yeah. is my name. Um, but we, yeah, have... you've seen a lot
1: more than I have. Like I haven't even seen Bliss. I probably never will see Bliss. Sorry. Uh, no,
0: that's yeah, okay. No, <laughs> uh, no, no comment. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, we have both seen, uh, First Love, which is the latest film from Takashi Miike. And you are right. It pretty much immediately, it played TIFF and then it played Fantastic Fest and then it hit limited release on September 27th.
1: <laughs> and, which i think was actually smart for Waldo to do to hype up this film because and miga is an interesting director where he has made like over 100 films is really well known but i don't think his films in the us has, have ever really financially worked
0: um so, not during i was going to say not like during their run you know like like yeah. like movies like audition and and uh Ichi the killer probably later have
1: like on DVD and Blu-ray releases, yes. I feel like, more than theatrical. I'm going to actually look it up while I, we talk about the film, but I I don't know what his most successful financially
0: is. I would have to imagine maybe because, um you know, maybe because uh, he he's grown in stature over the years because of those aforementioned movies via DVD and Blu-ray. I would have to imagine it was um, Blade of the Immortal potentially that's what i'm thinking just because well it was i think wasn't it a it was magnet who put it out so like that had a i think they had a little bit more i mean it played theaters i saw it in a the theater um and then it, they also made sort of a big deal because it was his hundredth movie uh so that that was kind of i think one of the hooks to going to it it was like it's takashi miike's hundredth movie um so i think that probably boosted a little bit but i have no idea
1: well, that movie didn't make very much. Uh, it made one hundred and fifty thousand.
0: Oh no! Okay, I, it was far less than I thought. Um,
1: so I think Miki has kind of like run into this issue where I think a lot of like foreign films do this. It, it they just struggle finding their audience a little bit it theatrically, but they find a really good home video audience.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's one thing, too, that I kind of love and I love about Wellgo, too, is like I they're one of the few like smaller labels that you'll see their title show up at like a big box store anymore. Like like you would you would think that you'd have to order that on Amazon or through like a boutique distributor. But like you could actually go to a Target and see like I think that's where I bought my copy of The Wailing like a couple years ago um because we'll go put that out like it, it's yeah. yeah it's it's something that's that's nice for sure so i'm looking at it now and it looks
1: like their most financially successful film box office wise at eight hundred thousand.
0: Oh. oh yeah okay so that makes sense his audience is his audience is niche for those who like show up to the movie theater but his movies do tend to do well like far after the fact yeah um but yeah, so first love is his latest film. It's like his hundred fourth, hundred fifth movie, something like that. I don't know. He ma- somehow made oh. five movies in between Blade of the Immortal and this, which is the last movie of his I saw.
1: This is uh, hundred and third film.
0: Hundred third. Okay, so he made yeah. So he made two movies in between this and Blade of the Immortal. Okay. Yes. I, I was partially being sarcastic. I mean, I love the guy's movies mostly. <laughs> uh, I just I didn't like Blade of the Immortal very much, but I, I traditionally go for his movies. Um, but uh, yeah, this is his, his latest. It, it's kind of a it's like a crime comedy romance, a little bit of true romance meets after hours, I, I would say. Um, but I'll I'll pass it to you. You were fortunate enough to see it in the theater, um, which I mean, I guess it is expanding to Seattle this weekend. So I could go see it in the theater if I wanted to. But um, I'll pass it to you. What what did you think of uh, Mike's latest?
1: was fine. I thought it was a lot of fun and I think that in this kind of context since he's not really trying to say much which to me a lot of the Mike I'm familiar with is a lot of his earlier work where it's a lot of genre it's a lot of gore and it's a lot of uh there's a lot of things going on within the context of the film that he's trying to say something at the end of the day whether it be like an audition or he's trying to say something about men and how they Look for another partner, or mm-hmm. if it's something like Mr. Q, which I recently watched, which is trying to say a lot about Japanese culture and especially like how far you can push boundaries in a pink film and like at the end of the day still have to like scrub out the genitalia. It's so bizarre. Um, and then this one, I, I, after watching a bunch of these films recently it just kind of fell flat for me on that end, but I think it's a lot of fun. And I would actually argue that there is no romance in this film outside the romance is like, uh, not, I would say that there's not a romance between the male and the female.
0: Yeah. It's, it does. Like I was just reading the like genres that it said, it does say like crime comedy romance and it does like the movie true romance in a way just from like a, you know, uh, street level people end up in extraordinary situations and just one of them's male, one of them's female. But I would agree that I don't think there's too much of a, like there's not really a love connection characters,
1: Right. And I think the end, they try to kind of be like, well, maybe they're together, which I don't ever like that kind of like, will they won't they You can't tell if it's friendly or if they're living together because they're in love, but I never got that vibe. And I feel like the first love of this film is each character has I mean, there are some characters that are romantically involved with people, but, like, the two main characters, um, which their names are over my head right now, the, the boxer and then the sex worker. The sex worker is focused on kind of, like, having this past trauma with her dad, and her first love was this guy in high school who saved her from her dad, versus, like, the boxer's first love is boxing. That's kind of how I saw it a little bit, which I thought was a nice new and different change to these kinds of films when a, like a female and a male kind of get caught up in some that they it's refreshing to, get to, caught to, to up be in. honest like
0: i i you know not to not to you know really spoil anything for people but i i think that was a, a nice refreshing approach and that the movie sort of ultimately is about like i mean that for their first love and just about sort of like overcoming the situations they are or like overcoming the situations they're in as opposed to like as opposed to using one another to do that, they sort of like somehow come to these reconciliations together. But I, I, I hope, I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but, but it That's just doesn't true, yeah. like, it, it's nice that it's like, they need each other or they didn't need each other to come to these reconciliations. It just happens that their paths cross. And, and that was, uh, you know, something that was unique to this type of movie
1: yeah and what was your favorite character because this is kind of like an ensemble, ensemble film. film
0: um i would say my favorite character um and i i forget the characters names and uh, i feel bad i know leo is the name of the boxer that that i do yes. remember but uh, uh
1: I I, it's monica or michelle i think it's monica is it the is sex worker
0: monica but i yeah. believe it's it's i think the character's name is julie the the like oh the woman? assassin woman yeah yeah <laughs> yeah she was she was my favorite because that was like the i i feel like the biggest source of comedy to me or like the most like sort of wacky where like violence meets slapstick is this just like almost seemingly unkillable terminator-esque character um and right. I, I i found that to be um amusing overall for sure yeah um,
1: not even and, a dog bomb can get her no,
0: not a, that's a really like I love that sequence that that and then the the sort of like where it all coalesces at this uh, sporting goods store are are two two of my favorite sequences of of the movie but um no, that character I really enjoyed, and I enjoyed like like you said like he usually has something to say or it's like um like the dead or alive movies that are super super over the top crazy, right. yeah, and so like i I kind of liked that this one was like kind of in the vein of that gangster movie, but it was a little bit more restrained. And, and uh, I think that actually helps the movie Um, because when it, when it gets crazy, it gets, it can be really, really fun, but it also makes it really difficult to care about what's going on. And um, it was nice to really care about these characters journey without, like, like you said, without that sort of like, uh, he doesn't have like a grander statement he's trying to make with it. He's just making a like fun, crime mom movie
1: yeah which i mean it's fun and it's not actually a bad movie and it's just in the scope of things that i like from him this is not necessarily what i like from him as much but it was a nice fun time at the movie which i feel like it's really rare to get just like a solid like two hour action-packed funny and interesting film
0: yeah. And it's like, and it, it it's one of those nice examples of like, you know, uh, you know, the opposite, uh, uh, the nice like medium in fest hype, like what we were just talking about of like, not everything you see at a fest or, or in general throughout the year, not everything has to blow the doors down. Like it doesn't have, like uh, you can see a movie that's like, like this, that's just perfectly solid throughout the entire way. It doesn't like reinvent the wheel it isn't, like, the best movie the filmmaker's ever done, but it's just really solid and really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, and I I, I wish... See, this is why I usually like Fantastic Fest because I feel like First Love is, like, a staple kind of film that you find there, where you find these really great films sometimes that are kind of diamonds in the rough, like when I saw Coherence there. Um, but then you'll also, like, see some really bad stuff, but in between, most of the in-between is this solid kind of fun time at the film movies and i just felt like this year at fantastic fest it just didn't have that vibe outside of first love
0: well that's that's both a bummer but i'm glad that at least if it it, it happened at least once in something like first love
1: yeah which i mean i could have expected from Mike that he wouldn't give me a bad film that i walked mm-hmm. out going wow that was terrible wish i didn't see that
0: yeah he's he's rarely done that i i think for me the closest would be like blade of the immortal and even then i didn't think it was terrible i was just like wow that was really repetitive and why is it two hours and 20 minutes but that that's about all i like the only bad i really had to say about that one
1: yeah i mean i didn't even see that one it just didn't appeal to me (laughs) oh you
0: oh you didn't see blade of the Immortal? oh yeah you you don't have to like you well you've seen 13 assassins right
1: yeah, no. Actually, I haven't watched a lot of his newer, like, Yakuza crime stuff like this.
0: I would... Well, I would... Both are more like a... uh What's the... How do you pronounce it? I always fuck it up. Uh, Wuxia? Wuxia? Oh,
1: Wuxia, yeah.
0: Wuxia, yeah. That, that, that's basically both 13 Assassins and Blade of the Immortal, but 13 uh, Assassins is the one to watch if you're going to watch one.
1: Ah, uh, okay, sure. okay.
0: I recommend that one. Uh, Blade of the Immortal's, like... it's good for like 30 minutes and then like you realize oh man this is just gonna be really really repetitive throughout the movie and it's and it's longer than it needs to be for sure
1: i see yeah
0: um well any other thoughts on first love before we sort of quick hit uh the films in september
1: um no i think that covers it Unless you All have
0: anything right. more to say, no, I don't. I I literally just watched it, finished watching it before we hopped on mic here. <laughs> oh, um, really? Yeah, I did. Yeah, but it, it's it's uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Like you know, it's it's like you said, it's a solid it's a solid movie, and it doesn't have to be anything more. Um, and I definitely recommend people seek it out uh, if it plays at a theater near you, or you know, it'll likely be on VOD sooner rather than later. So I I would recommend it.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Well. Speaking of solid movies that are longer than they need to be, let's, uh, <laughs> oh, that was, that was bad. <laughs> um, i I'll, I should cut that out, but I'll probably just work through it. Oh, no. Um, so starting in September, uh, starting from the front of September, uh, was, I guess the biggest, the first movie, big movie of September and the highest grossing movie of September, uh, was it chapter two, uh, which, which we were going to do a full episode on, um, back when it came out um but as i mentioned my uh my son was born the day after i saw the movie so it just never the episode never came to fruition um but even though i i do stand by thinking that this movie is entirely too long and occasionally repetitive um not to bury the lead but you and i both liked this movie and i'm shocked that that ends up that that's like Oh, controversial stance to take with this movie.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we like not... it. Fine. <laughs>
0: yeah, like, like. Well, I don't know. Controversial is the right word, but I'm, I'm, not to review reviews, but I'm, I'm kind of shocked a little at the, the like, mixed response to this movie compared to the first one. Because I don't know about you, but I, I left this movie going like most of the strengths and weaknesses of the first film persist here, and they're just very much of a piece to me. So I was just very shocked of how one was received so, so well over this the second chapter.
1: It did surprise me too, because I feel like, I don't know what people wanted with this one, and I, I understand because it is repetitive, and there's this part in the second act where you're just like, okay, yes. I get it. I feel like I watched all this in the first movie, but I also see from an, an adaptation standpoint where essentially what they did was they basically made what the entire film would have been if it had just been one film
0: (laughs) yeah it's essentially Uh, structured like the the miniseries the nineteen ninety miniseries like it's exactly it's almost like that movie remade but you got a whole first chapter of the kids before it
1: yeah which is is, it, it i don't know if we necessarily needed every kid going out and having their own adventure um maybe they could have done with like cutting out three of those kids and keeping a huge focus on uh, the Richie character, which was played by Bill Hader as an adult.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause I feel
1: like that permeated a lot through this film. And I feel like there are some very wrong takes in this, but on the line for this film, one being that shocked me was someone calling uh, it chapter two homophobic, which I a hundred percent disagree on. I think that it's almost, it, it, not even almost it's the opposite where it's trying to show people that this, this stuff still happens, and it's a horror movie on top of it. So yes, it's really disturbing to see some of this stuff, but it, that doesn't mean it's homophobic if someone gets beaten up at the beginning of the the movie.
0: Agreed, and killed and
1: we'll- because and, and said like it's about how bully be like it's about bullying and that culture and how it takes these marginalized people and just wears them down.
0: I think th- maybe, and I, and granted I haven't read too much into that take, the only ma- the only counter-argument, and I still don't think it would be sound, but the only counter-argument I could think of because that scene, that opening scene of this movie is the same opening scene from the book. It is straight from the pages of the book.
1: Right, but
0: yeah. But because the the present day of the book was in the mid eighties and um and the kid version was in the fifties. um And it was like during the height of the AIDS epidemic, I could see somebody making that argument, but that's to me, that's not what the movie's about or what the book is about. It's about the perpetual cycle of these things continuing to happen. And it's about the cycle of like these small towns about how people haven't progressed and people haven't moved on. Uh, and these things still happen. So I would believe in 2019 in a tiny town like Derry that something like that would happen. Sadly, yeah,
1: and a so, hate crime like that could happen. I feel like hate crimes like that still happen.
0: They do. And so to me, um, I'm like, no, this this doesn't it doesn't ring homophobic. It doesn't ring false. I think it fits squarely into what the story is ultimately about. Um, and even driven further by the fact of of the of richie's aforementioned arc which i guess you know maybe i'll keep mum it is still out in theaters but um you know i i think that's really strong stuff to be honest Uh, i didn't think it was like exploitative or homophobic in any way um yeah no i I definitely don't agree with that take um like like i kind of mentioned at the top my biggest issues with the movie really is just that second act and how the structure of it gets super repetitive and you're like, okay, I, I get it. Like, yes, I love all these characters. I like hanging out with them, but I get it. Let's move on. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I feel like it. I really didn't need a second act of hanging out with the kids. All the kids again. Some of the kids, I think it's worth revisiting, especially like Richie's character. And maybe even uh, the character. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Um, the one who doesn't live. Uh, Stan? Is it Stan? Yes. Yes. Maybe. No, uh, no, no, no. Yes.
0: Oh. oh yes i don't yes it is stan i don't know why i forgot his name but yes you're correct
1: yeah like i understand like kind of revisiting him because he kind of fits into richie's uh segment as well as uh oh uh what's his (laughs) my god why am i forgetting names (laughs) uh eddie
0: Oh yes, yes. I understand.
1: Eddie. Like maybe if you're gonna like focus on like this kind of arc in the film, I mean, I understand. Then also Bev being there, but do we really need to see Bev and remind, get reminded that she was beaten?
0: No, as a child. I mean, we, we we know that, and and also it's it's shown in the first scene of the movie. Like the first act of this movie sets up everything so well in terms of like how their trauma has enforced their adult life we just see those like brief snippets and so it's like we get that and so it didn't need to be hammered home later in the movie because we already know that that is the case
1: right so i feel like when you send all these characters off to go on their uh their like treasure hunt you didn't have the ones that didn't have much to say to go back in time with. They could have come back easily, and you could have cut those things. Where I feel like the only one that really brought some light to the situation was Richie, and then some heaviness was Stan because Stan was dead. Right, and it's kind of a nice moment to go back in time and see him alive when, but kind of all remembering that. Um. So I guess that's where I kind of stood with that. And that's like the part that weighed the movie down. But otherwise I thought the movie was really ambitious and a lot of it, like in the first and second act or the first and third act I liked.
0: Yeah. I, I loved, well, I mean, maybe love would be too strong a word, but like, I really liked the first, first and third acts of this movie. I think they're very, very strong and there's, uh, there's good stuff in the second act for sure. It's just, that's where it gets a little bit wonky and makes the movie a little bit overlong um but then it it kind of comes back in the third movie and or third movie Jesus Christ third yep. <laughs> act and really like ties it together so no i liked it and i i look forward to um i look forward to like when the book cut eventually comes out like i'll be interested to see how they how they do that
1: yeah i think my only thing that i think that people didn't like this movie was because in the third act, it doesn't go as crazy bonkers as Stephen King's book does. Right. And I think a lot of people sometimes don't know how to detach their feelings for material and move forward. And also, I feel like if you hadn't read the books or and you expected something more, I, there's this tough spot. And I think there's a lot of people who are willing to judge this film a lot more than they had this first one.
0: I, I agree. Yeah, and I, I think that's, well, and I think the, maybe because the first one came with little expectation um, and and then was, you know, ultimately well received that it that sort of enforced people's sort of uh, anticipation for this one and for whatever reason they felt let down by it. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think that's the proper way to go into a movie. I just think that that's what happened.
1: I, I think you're right
0: for sure. But yeah, no, I I liked the movie and um yeah, I'm just I am like I said, I felt it, it was like a piece of the first and was just very very shocked at like some of the negative reactions out there for it. But I know
1: cuz you're usually the one. We're usually the ones that are negative about horror movies.
0: You, oh well, especially like big mainstream ones like that, you know? Like
1: Yeah, that, like- it's it, Okay, you're trying to tell me that the new Annabelle movie was better than it Chapter Two. I mean, no. go take a hike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, that's it. Is kind of funny. It is weird being on the the defensive, but for positive reasons as opposed to negative reasons, for sure. Um, do you have any other thoughts on it, or should we move on to uh, to Hustlers? Oh, we can move on to Hustlers. (laughs) Let's move on to Hustlers. Because this, like, even though It's chapter two is the highest grossing movie of September, Hustlers is probably the biggest surprise and maybe the most lucrative overall because of its budget. Um, But uh, I don't know about you. This movie really surprised the hell out of me. I didn't know much about it going into it. I didn't see a trailer. I didn't know it was based on uh, a true story. Mm. Uh, I didn't know. Like, I, I knew nothing about it um i just knew like i saw comedy in it and i saw like stx put it out and like this is probably like totally totally unfair but i thought it was you know something like bad moms like again no context i did not read anything about it i mean i can understand that that. if you
1: didn't know anything like just knowing the facts
0: yes but like then finding out what it was about seeing people's praises about it um i'm like oh okay this sounds like something i really want to see and uh i did get to go see it and i thought it was really entertaining
1: (laughs) it is really entertaining um Um, yeah what a nice movie to watch in september or end of august i can't remember it's month has been so long but uh, to me hustlers was kind of a surprise because i didn't think it was going to be very good either
0: yeah, and I, like I said, I had, no, I had no expectation for it. I just was, like, I thought it was just going to be, like, a bad, like, R-rated comedy. Um, I mean, right. it's a comedy in a way, but it's, like, it, it's, like, it's a little bit of true crime. There, it's definitely a little, like, you know, there's a lot of Scorseseisms in the movie. I don't want to, like, take away from um, what Lorraine Scafaria, like, has done here. But, like, there's definitely a lot of, like, cam and... Uh, freeze frame, voiceover, dolly it like you know a lot of the tools in Scorsese's toolbox. So that
1: that was pretty he, evident. I read in an interview with her that they originally did offer the film to him. So really? clearly they had <laughs> like plans to make this film like a Scorsese film.
0: Well, I think they did mostly successful. It feels you know it feels of a piece with something like Casino and Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu are. Outstanding in this movie, Jennifer Lopez especially. Um Jennifer Lopez is really good. She's so good. <laughs> like, it's one of those performances where like um I-, I love a performance where when they walk on screen for the first time in the movie that you go, they're gonna command this thing. And <laughs> she she definitely does that. Like, there's just such a presence that it's like, oh man, she's gonna take control of this whole movie. Um, and, she kind and she of does. does. Yeah, she does for the most part. I mean, everything. Most of the actions, you know, revolve around her, revolve around her character. And and the one thing, and, and I mean, I guess maybe spoilers for real life, um, mildly. <laughs> I'm not going to like dive too into it, but what I did like about this movie, as opposed to something like Goodfellas and Casino, uh, which you don't see in this type of movie very often, is how the the downfall like there there is an inevitable downfall to what's happening to the characters in this movie um with the law but there isn't as much of a downfall in like relationships and i thought that was really refreshing because it's like you know the end of good it's like okay henry hill rats everybody out and he's in witness protection and then like you know he's he's all alone um and so like i like that you know there there was such a camaraderie with these people that even though like, yeah, their their hustle had to come to an end, but their relationships are, are kind of left to be rekindled. And so I thought that was like a nice, I mean, if it's real life, it's real life, but it's still a nice touch for this kind of movie.
1: It is a nice touch. I do like how you see like, when they do have a kind of falling out with their relationships, there's an understanding as well. It's not like uh, with animosity. It has to do with protecting yourself. And more or less, because these are all women who are also mothers, it's protecting their children. Uh, Or at least the two main characters, Constance Wu's character and J-Lo's character are both mothers. Right. And so there's like this kind of unique understanding between women there. And there's a bit where I think Constance Wu's character doesn't believe that J-Lo's character uh really felt anything for her but then it all kind of comes in the end and she realizes that that her this the story that she has kind of made up in her mind actually isn't real right Um, which i liked uh i don't know how much i liked the wraparound of the journal like journalist
0: yeah i i was wondering about that also because uh that device well i mean i guess it doesn't happen too much in like these type of movies but i was thinking like that seems to happen a lot where it's like these sort of bio like these type of like um biopics that are framed you know because they're either they're based on a journalist's interaction with somebody like i think of um what's the david foster wallace one the end of the tour Oh yeah. Um, yeah, or the upcoming um Mr. Rogers' One Beautiful Day right. in the Neighborhood ha- apparently has that same like plot device also. And it's sort of like yeah, I don't think it I think you could have just done the way that like something like Casino is where it's just voiceover from different perspectives where you don't have like that framing device, but it's like you have the the narration of like what's happening at any given time and I don't think it would have taken away from the movie if they went that route.
1: No, I don't either. And I feel like it almost takes you out of the moment when you go back to Constance Wu and Julia Styles uh, interview because the movie has so much momentum, especially in the first and second acts. Um, Absolutely. It, 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 particularly in the first act where you have like these four women who are for lack of better words in the top of my head hustling to make a living and to have a stable life style. But, and even at the end of the day, like, you see into these women's – these, like, ladies' apartments, and they're not, like, living in a mansion somewhere in upstate New York. They're living in an apartment that is, like, as big as the one that I lived in in Austin, maybe.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they're just – they're just trying to get by. And, and trying and to be comfortable. Exactly, which I think is, you know I, – I think that's the other, like, strength of the movie, too, is because, like, the – you know, not to not to keep comparing and contrasting it to like the other movies I mentioned, but like there's a sense of greed that sips into that those movies, and it is and it is like really really lush lifestyles that are depicted in those films, uh, which leads to more greed, which leads to greater downfall. And like I, I think it's sort of super relatable that you know these characters are doing it because they have to, and because and I, I think you know it happening shortly after the after the uh economy tanked in 2008 and i think like i i can't think of a movie i mean because there's been movies like um margin call that like have like gone into like what happened about that but i but to see a movie like from the ground level about that like the only other movie i could think of which they're totally totally different other than they're both kind of crime movies is uh killing them softly did you ever see that
1: Um, no, I didn't.
0: The Andrew Dominic film. It's, it's good. It's really fucking like nihilistic and bitter. It's totally different from this type of movie. But like, I I thought of that in terms of like, okay, here's what happened to the people on the ground after the economic crash. Here's what happened. Like, here's the trickle down effect that led to this. And, um, I know, I think that's really strong in this movie.
1: Yeah, I actually think so too. It's really interesting because one of the things I came out with is how distinct the music changes. In the film, and I never thought about how, like, what was popular before or after the crash. But there's like this, like, sense of like wealth and like partying in the music for the first like half. Like uh, the Usher song comes to mind,
0: oh, where uh, everyone's
1: like <laughs> out out and enjoying themselves, and they're spending as much as they can. And then there's like a post 2008 party song, which is not yet sad cuz that I feel like is in the more in the 2010s like in the mid 2010s you get like these like sad party anthems um much like Lord which she plays at the end but then right. you get these like weird like joyously like almost empty happy songs don't have the same momentum as the songs before 2008 and before the crash it's just really interesting listening to like the change in music as well and how it kind of like that that moment changed like not even strip club culture, but just like club culture in general and the partying culture in general.
0: That's, I didn't even like think about that. I, I mean, I, I noted the music changes, but I like that to show the progression of what happened through the music is like, a, you know, that had to have been a deliberate choice. <laughs> and it's a, yeah. it's a good one.
1: I mean, it's like interesting cause you have like, again, I'm warming up the Usher song and then it ends with like Lord's uh, anti-party anthem. It's just, I I like that choice, and there's something that I've noticed that was mentioned on, uh, oh my god, the Big Picture podcast a lot, by Amanda Dobbins, where she talks about how a lot of female movies that are made for women tend to have really bad soundtracks for some odd reason, and this is, like, one where I was like, oh my god, I love this soundtrack, I actually, this is the music I listen to or hear, like, on the streets, and it felt very rare where you get a a movie that is good that's about women that feels different than everything else that's out there that feels new and exciting that's not just like Ghostbusters but what if women and right. I mean this is kind of like Scorsese but what if women but it's still a highly original story that's taken from real life and then you, on top of it you have good music <laughs> so yeah. like someone someone cared
0: <laughs> absolutely and and you know I, I can't speak to you know because I, I sadly haven't seen a lot of those like if they're referring to um like a lot of comedies like that like a lot for example like i can't think of a i can't think of a good specific example but some of the trailers that played for this movie that are programmed to i guess an audience that thinks that they think will like these movies if the movies themselves are an indication that yes there's bad music played played in them for sure
1: yeah I, it just was really nice seeing that. And I did notice that in relation to time. And I think that they, it's interesting because like, I feel like we've seen a lot of these movies and I'm thinking of the big short kind of specifically, this would be a good like double feature with that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> and also, also noted too, um, you know, the speaking of the big short, this was produced by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell with yes. through their Gary Sanchez production. Who we should say are, like, you know, thankfully backing super interesting projects like this and Succession, which is... Oh, my God, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> So it's like, uh, you know, uh, just kudos all the way around to everybody who worked on on this. But, yeah, I agree. This would be an, a terrific double feature with The Big Short. Uh, makes me want to rewatch that movie. It's been a second.
1: Oh, my God, I like that movie so much.
0: <laughs> I do, too. I do, too, uh, for sure. Well, do you have any other thoughts on Hustlers before we start to wrap this episode up?
1: Uh, my only other thought would be, I understand why Constance Wu is now first billed, but still, J Lo has been working for so long. How do you get above her billing? How do you get above her billing?
0: I <laughs> uh, yeah, I the only thing her I name could... is
1: worth so much. <laughs> oh,
0: I I agree wholeheartedly. I think the only thing I can think of to kind of tie it back to some opening awards chatter on this episode is if they're going to commit category fraud. <laughs> and submit her for supporting even though she's very much a lead in this movie but
1: yeah i I mean she's like barely supporting and i think that supporting and lead is so especially in a movie like this which is kind of very ensemble-y. right uh, it's so hard and there's such a thin line like i feel like yes constance Wu might have like 15 minutes extra and it's technically her story but how is j-lo not a lead in this film
0: I, I would agree. Like I said, she's the one who comes on screen and just commands the thing um, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, cool. No, I, I like this. I liked this movie quite a bit. I'm very glad that I got to see it. I'm glad that it's doing insanely well. Uh, I believe as of today, it just crossed hundred million worldwide. And I think it's made over 80 in the States and it will definitely cross hundred million. So um, that's, that's a, a nice, nice surprise. And I'm glad to see it doing super well.
1: So there's still hope in the movie industry. Yeah. Oh, yes. There is
0: still some hope. Um, well, before we wrap this up, uh, a couple other movies in September that I saw that you haven't got to see yet. Um, uh, I did see Ad Astra, the latest film from James Gray, which I know I know you've been sick and it's really bugging you that you haven't seen it yet. But
1: yes.
0: uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it because uh, our friends over the Be Real podcast did do an episode to it, which I recommend listeners go check that out uh it is very good but um all I'll say is i just it's one of my favorite movies of the year like hands down um i had no idea what to expect going into it um you know that somebody gave james gray 80 to 100 million dollars to make a space epic that's super introspective um but i was surprised in the best possible way um i think i also think brad pitts just having a hell of a year uh too like um someone who i've always loved but some of his performances as of late have been have been good but he's been able to sort of like coast a little bit on his stardom but i think both this and once upon a time in hollywood he's doing some of the best work of his career um just hands down so um so no what
1: i'm so jealous (laughs) it's still out in
0: theaters (laughs) it's
1: true this is true this is true
0: so, no, go, go out and see it. See it on the biggest screen you can, too, because it's, it's, um, it's, it's a gorgeous movie, as to be expected, but it's, it's really, really unique. Um, so I, I recommend that. Uh, the other movie I got a chance to see, uh, well, I actually saw it months and months ago at South by Southwest, uh, is this movie The Day Shall Come. Uh, which it is out on VOD currently. And I think it's in limited release, but it is on VOD. Uh, it is the latest film from Chris Morris, who did uh, Four Lions back in 2008, nine, somewhere in there. Um, you know, that, that dark political comedy. And just like that, this is also a very dark political comedy uh, about an improvised preacher who, um, who was kind of like made into a martyr by the government. It's, It's funny, but it's one of those that by the end of the movie, you feel really, really, really bad for laughing through the entire time. Because it, like, it hooks you in with its sort of, like, madcap Mel Brooksy type comedy. And then it pulls the rug out from under you, and it's just brutally heartbreaking. Um, Like, there's a tagline at the beginning of the movie that says this is based on 100 true stories. Um, And I believe it. I believe every one of them, and it's, like, deeply, deeply upsetting and sad. So, um, I... I cautiously recommend it because I think it is a good movie, but um, like it's 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 also becomes not an easy watch by the end. But uh, but it is very funny too. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a tough balance for sure. Yeah,
1: I, I wanted to see that at South by, but I never got the chance to.
0: Well, it is it's readily available on iTunes and all the all the the places which. I'm both, I don't know, you know, I guess we talked a little bit about distribution so we could keep that going for just a second. I'm both surprised because just given how well-received Four Lions was at the time that maybe this would have had like a a small platform release and then a VOD. I didn't think it was going to be a day and date sort of thing, but... um,
1: That's what everyone goes for now.
0: I know, the landscape's changing so much that it's like, I I totally understand because this movie is like, you know, as... If it sounds, if my opinion uh, or feelings about this movie is, like, conflicting, like, it's understandably so that they're like, well, how the fuck do we sell this movie? So we'll put it on the VOD and hopefully someone checks it out. So uh, I totally get it for sure. Um, Any other thoughts on Fantastic Fest, the movies we discussed, or any other movies in September that you might have watched that I haven't seen that you want to give a shout out before we wrap this episode up?
1: I don't think I've actually seen many new releases outside of the Fantastic Fest movies and the movies we talked about. I'm really lame this September.
0: I mean, not not really. There hasn't been much out. I did see one thing. Oh, okay.
1: I saw The Gangster, The Cop, and The Devil. Um, I know that that came out earlier this year in Austin, but then it played again in Alamo Draft House. It's a well-go release. Um, South Korean gangster film, kind of... uh, comedy where a gangster and a cop have to work together to solve this serial killer murder and it's you know what it's not great but it's kind of nice to finally see i mean i've seen a few of these before but it's just nice to always watch like a a basic south korean gangster film where it's like it's not groundbreaking it's just fun and you can be like and popcorny and sometimes hilarious but a little bit too long and i watched that and i thought it was fine
0: <laughs> well awesome i mean it's 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 just like uh first love in that way right of just like uh, this is first so- love's better oh it is okay
1: yeah it, it's funnier gangster cop and the devil the problem is is i was angry that like the serial killer was really stupid in the movie but the gangster and the cop were really good and i just wanted more of that at the end of the day
0: got it got it got it got it well yeah. fair enough um and I was going to say you're you're not lame because like I am sure you know there were a ton of ton of indie movies that made their way out um out through September but as far as like wide releases are concerned like I think we pretty much covered like it is pretty slim pickings here in September I mean we had there had the Goldfinch which neither of us saw Did uh, anyone see? I nobody no it had like one of the worst openings in 2000 theater <laughs> so nobody saw that uh Downton Abbey is doing very well um but I have never watched an episode of the series so I've never I didn't really have the the drive to go see the movie um have you watched the show at all
1: um which show
0: sorry uh, Downton Abbey
1: oh yeah I have of course I have I really want to see the movie you what I really want to see the movie actually
0: oh got it well and and that's i mean we didn't cover it here or at least i didn't because i've never seen an episode of the series so um i'm sure the movie's good i just have not made it made it there uh rambo last i'm sure Blo- it's
1: good for fans of the series oh that's a thing <laughs> yeah
0: and that's what it seems to be um rambo last blood i watched the rambo movies kind of in anticipation of this but i don't really like any of them except first blood so i'm <laughs> i haven't been compelled to go see this latest one. Um, that looks
1: bad yeah I've
0: heard nothing but bad things about it Uh, and then Abominable came out this last weekend the the, uh, DreamWorks film which I've heard is fine but uh, I have not seen it I Uh, didn't
1: realize that was DreamWorks
0: yeah, it, it is a DreamWorks movie. Oh. Uh, I guess looking at the September releases, I know this episode's a little loose in structure, but, you know, that's totally okay. One, I guess one thing I would shout out, something that you and I have both seen, but we saw a long time ago, and I forgot that it did come out this September to general audiences, is One Cut of the Dead, which is on Shudder. Oh, yeah! I, yeah,
1: that's really, it's a cute movie.
0: It is a really cute movie, but, like, you know, you saw it at Fantastic Fest last year i saw it oh i saw it on a delta flight because they have the deal with international films a lot of the times that they end up on in-flight movies so um you know i yeah we both seen the movie a minute ago but it is out it is on shutter um i don't want to say too much because i think the the you know I, i think there's some nice surprises for people uh if you go in as cold as possible uh but it is a lot of fun um And it's so hard to do a zombie comedy nowadays. So it's, it's refreshing that somebody did one that uh, was not only good, but in a way that no one's really done it before. So I would recommend. Yeah. I
1: would. Yeah. No one has really done it in the way that one cut of the dead does, which is nice.
0: Agreed. Um, Cool. Well, we've been jabbering for quite some time. I think we could probably safe to say we can wrap this up. Uh, Jenny, thank you for taking the time as always to come on the show. Always love when you come on the show to talk. Uh, Where can people find more of your work online?
1: Uh, you can find me over at the austin chronicle where i will now be a semi-contributor
0: awesome that's awesome congratulations
1: semi-regular sorry i forgot that word that's Uh, an important word right not
0: (laughs) uh, it's semi-contributor it's it's i think i think we get the gist that's so awesome congratulations Um, i am
1: taking a twitter break though but if you want to follow me you can find me at jennyleex33 as well
0: you as you should like not like we all should really if it wasn't for the fact that i'm you know, trying to get all this work out there, uh, I would be taking a break as well because it is hell on earth uh, on a daily basis. So
1: really the I, nicest thing I've done to myself this week,
0: I, you know what? It's, you have to do self care, right? Like that it has to happen. And that, that that's honestly a good, easy gateway to like further self care is to just stay off Twitter.
1: <laughs> honestly, it was just a way for me to read more and like do other things instead of like sitting and going through Twitter on my phone. <laughs>
0: And it's yeah it's why i waste way too much time on that so site.
1: addictive
0: <laughs> i agree uh but speaking of that hell site you could follow me there uh at <laughs> ryoli 90 it's r-y-o-l-l-i-e 90 and once again the discourse is a part of the playlist podcast network so if you enjoy this show be sure to subscribe to us via your podcaster of choice be it soundcloud stitcher anchor fm itunes uh spotify iheart radio which we are now on you will get this show, as well as our other programs, including The Fourth Wall, Indie beat, uh Be Real, and any of the other things that pop up on our feed from time to time. I was going to say next week episode, but it's you're getting two this week because we've been so backed up. Uh, more like tomorrow's episode, after this drops. Uh, we will be discussing Joker. Um, Chris Evangelista from Slash Film will be joining me to discuss that. Uh, so strap in for Maximum Discourse Because it will happen so uh, But thank you to our listeners Thank you for listening And we'll catch you on the next episode everybody's like Crystal, Maybach Diamonds on your timepiece Jet planes, islands Tigers on a gold leash We don't care
1: We aren't caught up in your love affair And we'll never be royals Royals
0: crave a different kind of buzz let me be